there and he just started yelling proprietor proprietor and so i asked again my parents and fields helped teach me a little bit about language uh, the english language and so my mom well it's the owner of the store honey oh okay <laughs> proprietor very nice i like the sound of the word proprietor proprietor fields 1934 it's very important to know yeah. these things just as yesterday fields Elusive Spondulix. <laughs> now, I've never heard that no, before. I, but Spondulix was at one time a colloquial, or maybe maybe somebody out there still uses it. For, for money? Spondulix, yeah. I don't even Spondulix. Spondulix. Never heard that. I, fields, I've only heard it through Fields, 1940. Spondulix. Spondulix. Anyway, good morning. Pat Casey, nestled in between the proprietor. Dave Kell, hosting us. Yesterday, we visited with A.J. McCord. Dave is uh, a supporter of the Joe Beaver Show, and we had a road show there a while back. And so we're giving uh, some time to a great Beaver family and story, and Devin and Drew Kell, and a little bit from Dave about the value of a college scholarship, of all things. And then just looking back and reading a story about the Kell family, this struck me. I looked back at the 2013 Sheraton Hawaii Bowl. Just life is so strange. That's only 10 years ago, and all that's happened in the last 10. But that was 10 years ago, Christmas time, 2013. The Beavers, who went 6-1, and one, then lost five straight, but uh, got themselves into uh, the Sheraton Hawaii Bowl uh, at 6-6, six and six. ended up being a pretty good destination, and it worked out well for the Kell family. And the Beavers were playing Boise State, and there was – after the Beavers had gone through a practice and I was watching it, and Boise State was coming out of the field for their practice, mm -hmm. they had a quarterback's coach walking by uh, whose name was Jonathan Smith. <laughs> and I remember visiting with Jonathan. He, he informed me then. He said, Pete's hired me to go with him. You know, I'll be with him at Washington. What are you going to be doing there, quarterback? He goes, I'll be the coordinator. Wow. I mean, and, and I even said, I remember the conversation right there at Aloha Stadium. You're He's turning the offense to you. You're coordinating. You'll call the plays. Well, that's what he tells me. And so good for him. But that was 10 years ago. But when I look back mm. at that game, the Hawaii Bowl, it just struck me and pleased me to see that the Beavers' leading receiver in the game was a young man named Brandon Cooks playing in the Hawaii Bowl, a guy that was going to be you know, was certainly going to go to the next level, whether he declared it at that point or not. That was his junior year. But the NFL was clearly coming for the guy that that year won the Bolitnikoff Award, and mm -hmm. he was ready and primed for the NFL, and yet played in something, quote-unquote, as lowly as the Sheraton Hawaii Bowl mm -hmm. back in that day when bowl games, even if at 6-6 six and six and in the Sheraton Hawaii yeah, Bowl, yeah. meant something. It meant something enough to Brandon Cooks and his commitment to the team and the program that even after his incredible year, on a certain intellectual level, Christian McCaffrey's approach and doctrine would have been understood. But, but Brandon Cooks, yeah, I mean, I don't even remember thinking, oh, boy, I sure hope Brandon plays no. in the game. No. We weren't even thinking along those lines. He it, played, caught eight passes and a touchdown. The Beavers beat Boise State 38-23. to Two scoop and scores for one guy in that game. Rashad Reynolds. But anyway... I can't believe it's been 10 years. It's been 10, but think about all that's happened Well, yeah, since then. Uh, well, the, this phenomenon <laughs> of, of all these guys getting ready for the NFL, because they're... Uh, transfer portal aside, that's another issue we're dealing with. 
getting ready for the NFL. That that's a a, a two or three year phenomenon of the numbers, the sheer numbers of people doing that. So Dave Kell will join us. The the bull came to him. His sons. He was out of Hilo. And he'll have a story, but he's also hosting a Saturday night, eight o'clock at his place, Beaver City Sports Bar and Deli this Saturday at eight. We hope you'll come down and turn it into a lively atmosphere. And we hope sort of help us, even though we're still very much in the weeds when it comes to litigation, when it comes to the portal, when it comes to filling out a staff, not quite done yet. Going to be soon, and I think we're going to like that last name that's going to be announced. I think it's going to be exciting. It's been being talked about in beaverblitz.com and elsewhere as to who that final name in the staff will be, and he's it's good. I think we're all going to like that. In the meantime, the staff is working like crazy, and I think there's going to be some good news uh, coming if, out of the portal towards us rather than the other way that, you know, just kind of keep your ears and eyes open for the staff that Trent uh, has hired, the, the, the people that are out doing all of their work, I'm told, and for, through sources that it's just incredible the amount of energy and attention and relentless approach that the beeves are just working. They're working, and that's all they can do with all of the uncertainties in our lives. It's all they can do. It's all they're charged to do. It's all they're doing. And I think thus Saturday night at Dave Kell's place, formerly uh, University Hero, uh, Bob Van Vliet sold to Dave Kell. Mm -hmm. Dave has been doing different things in the uh, food service industry world since arriving from uh, the Big Island with his family. We'll get a little bit of a history on that, but we're glad he stepped up. There was a sponsorship fee involved in, in hosting the show Saturday, so we hope you'll help him recoup that as a, as a great Beaver business person in our community whose two sons played football for the Beavers, and it's just a good Oregon State story. He's hosting us Saturday night, 8 o'clock. So, Pat Casey himself at 11.25. Dave Kell nestled between Lily Hansford joining us at 12.05. So we've got three guests. We have some open phones. We have Andy and Mitchell on the Downward Dog phone line. We do have a couple of other things along the way that I hope to to get to, if not today, if not tomorrow, maybe soon and for the rest of our lives, <laughs> to paraphrase a bit from lines that none of us will ever forget from one of the great films of all time. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but soon and for the rest of your lives. Great lines. Michael Curtiz, Bogey, Bacall, uh, Sidney Greenstreet, Peter Lorre, Claude Rains. It's as good as it gets. Anyway. <laughs> maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow. But Steve Kerr weighing in on Techno Den. Romy's been playing the line about, what are we doing here? It sounds like a South Beach nightclub. What are we doing here? <laughs> like, I can't even hear myself think. I can't talk to my players. I'm just finally glad. The one day I didn't listen to well, Rome. Well, he, he talked about it yesterday, and he, he doubled down and yeah. talked about it again today. Softy Mahler talks about, I hate that chainsaw. And so I just wonder, you know, at research, we are fans to a certain degree. I guess if it's in our building, it's okay. Yeah. We're fan. I like, I love more than Techno Den. I like the chainsaw. I'll just tell you. I think yeah, it's part me of too. who we are and what, what yeah. we are, and I like it. But what I like even better is just 
a barbaric, incessant roar on third down, generated by the fans who are trying to make life difficult yeah. on the signal caller for the opposition. That I prefer above any kind of technical noise, yeah. uh, techno din, the the rhythms of the music that uh, Steve Kerr was complaining about. What are we doing here? It's just thumping. <laughs> it's thumping. It's loud. Kerr, what are we doing here? What's going on out there? And we've talked forever about yes. you can't you, to, to talk to the person next to you. You're like this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Kerr. A curmudgeonly old man, evidently, complaining. Get off my lawn. Al Michael, yeah. Al Michaels. This uh -huh. is a whole other thing. Taken off of NBC's playoff coverage. And he didn't know. And he didn't know, and he had his moment that I had, Northwest Brewhouse Tap and Grill, circa 1995, when I'm sitting there. This is a much smaller. <laughs> believe me, Alfalfa Michaels, and you don't, I'm not, you don't, I don't need to convince you of this. You understand. It's at a higher level, a bigger <laughs> level. He's a big man and a great man and a great name. But it's funny to me that Michaels, in an interview in November with the New York Post, the New York Post is interviewing Al about media stuff or mm -hmm. whatever else, mm -hmm. about his broadcast career, about upcoming games, how he's working with Herbie, how Thursday night football is going. And at one point, the reporter says to Al, yeah, it's kind of interesting that you're kind of in limbo about the playoff games coming up this year. Al... To the reporter, quote, well, it's in my deal. Where are you hearing that from? Are you hearing something that I'm not hearing? Michaels to the New York Post. The reporter knew. What's worse than Mr. Zero knowing? You know, the Mr. Zero knew the movers were coming. Harry met Sally and what's worse. Michaels didn't know his own situation. I remember sitting, having lunch after having finished a show at the Northwest Taproom Bar and Grill, mm -hmm. circa 1995 in Portland, and a young man comes out to bust the dishes and do different things and says to me, he says, Mike, I'm really, I was really sorry to hear the news about you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, uh, yeah, yeah. First, I tried to, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, trying to play along like, yeah, it was kind of tough news. Yeah. Finally, I just said to the kid, what news? <laughs> well, that you're that you're going to be let go. <laughs> I had a busboy at Northwest Barroom Tap and Grill in Northwest Portland tell me that I was going to be moved out because he was this kid. Oh, Mike, I'm sorry. I thought you knew. I was sure you knew. And that just tells you in this crazy business, in all op occupations, yeah. but I think oftentimes in this weird radio world and media world, yeah. program directors, consultants, whatever else, they've made decisions and they let it leak a little bit or they tell the wrong person who then tells somebody else and tells somebody else. So I'm finishing up a meal. I had just done a show and the busboy says, yeah, I'm sorry to hear they're going to let you go. That, that's amazing. And It's amazing that ever happens, but it happens a lot. It, it ended up not happening, and here, this, this is what's funny to me. I, I did call a couple of people, and one person confirmed, yeah, oh, I'm so sorry, but yeah, not the boss, mm -hmm. somebody else who was going to be taking my spot instead right. on the radio. And I remember thinking, well, okay, that's a, tough, that's a heck of a note. But then, this is what bothers me about the whole world and program directors. Bless you all. We need you. So... But it bothers me at times that decisions are predicated and made to me on they were going to make a move with, you know, let me go. That's their move. We're yeah. going in a different direction. The euphemistic way of saying you're fired. Yeah. 
We're going in a different direction. Then, quote unquote, in that whole time period, the book, the ratings book comes out. You know, well, okay, has the book come? Yeah, the book just came in today, where you go over day parts and you go over ratings in certain day parts and demographics. Yep. Well, they were about to let me go. Then, quote, the book came out. Oh, wait a minute. Mike's numbers are, well, he's got, his numbers are, are as good, if, better than anybody at the station. I guess we better reconsider. And I just thought, you, you, you're going to base a decision on, on that. Yeah, yeah. You either... You either know what you got and who you got, or you don't. Right, right. You're going to let me go, and then this book, that book could change in the fall based on, you know, I mean, so I just, I've never fully understood that approach in life. You, you, you it, got, it's, that's the way it is for larger markets. Yeah. And, and thank yeah, goodness we're not in a, in a, a rated market. <sighs> so I, I, the bus, I, I, I drove back out to the, hey, bus boy, I, I didn't, I, I still got it. No, I didn't. But, but it was just funny to me that, and that kid was nice and he did genuinely feel bad. Yeah. But the news was being broken to me. Yes. How, by how, the young did, bus you, boy. how did you not know? And Al Michaels, uh, do you know something? I, uh, where are you hearing right. that? How does that reporter know that he's not on the, yeah. on the cover? And Michaels has found out he's off. And that's the, the fault of those who decide to make the change by not talking to him very first. And one of the things, too, too is, should he be? Yeah, the, the criticism last year, Al and Tony apparently did a great game last year of the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah, yeah. and an amazing comeback. And they were roundly panned and criticized because, quote, they weren't enthusiastic yeah. enough. So as Al lost his edge, is he not part of the modern s- spirit? Steve Kerr complaining about techno did. Al Michaels, 79 and too old to have enthusiasm for these games anymore. It's time. But it just feels to me when I read stories like that and even hear Kerr getting kind of lambasted, even though he's having some fun with it, and he's much more in his prime than Alfalfa Michaels, as Cosell called him, it's just the sign of the times and your time, the time comes to an end. They're wrong. About Al? Yeah. I think he's wrong about all these things because what it is, it's not the people getting older. It's the younger set. Okay. With what we used to say, we don't want to ever do that. This is not classy. It's not how it works. This is uh, on a number of things. It's the younger set going now. Yeah. That's okay to have your shirt untied when you're at a formal dinner. Uh, Are you considered old if you're at a formal (laughs) dinner and you have a tie on? That's the difference. Let's get Andy in because he called us right at the outset and has had to endure Northwest Taproom Bar and Grill reminiscences. Andy, thank you for doing that. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show, and you're our lead-in after a break to the great Pat Casey. So go, go fire away, Andy. Go ahead. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll try to keep it brief. Thanks, guys. And I just I don't really know how a busboy was able to tell you that in 1995 without Twitter or X. Well, that's true. That's a good point. Another day. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean that seems surprising. He must have some some good inside intel there. But no, I just <laughs> want to let you guys know I'm still here. I have uh, emerged from the darkness, as Merle Jr. Mm-hmm. alluded to. I'm I'm still low, but I'm I'm hanging in. I'm a beaver through and through. So hanging in there. But at this point. With all that's happened to us, I think the, it wouldn't even surprise me if they went and stripped Linus Pauling of his Nobel Prize. <laughs> I mean, yes. that's, that's the kind of month it's been. Two. Two of them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's right. That's right, too. Good. That's, that's correct. But no, I just want to say, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging in there trying to find the positives. Uh, it, it's been rough, but I, I am excited about some of the hires, some of the things that 
may be shaking out. We have to temper expectations a little bit, but if we're looking for a silver lining for you guys, I'd say, listen, Mike, you're going to be in Omaha in June. John, you'll always have the Clue Morning update, and TJ, well, you're young and, and you're resilient. Kids are, kids are resilient. So yep. um, there's me trying to find the silver lining for you guys, and uh, I guess the last thing I say is I hope that name you're hearing, I'm, I'm just wondering if it might be somebody who's finalizing some uh, obligations in the NFL and maybe announced shortly. And am I trending well, right I, there? I, yeah, I, I think you're, I think you're on, you may be on to something there. Let, let's see how, where that all goes, but that's a name I keep reading and, and hearing and seeing. And, and I like the sound of it if it indeed comes to pass. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's, let's hang on and hope for that. Keep believing Beaver nation and, uh, Excited to listen to Coach Casey coming up. Greatest to ever do it. Yes, and, he is. Uh, maybe, maybe go ahead and build a statue of him now. Thanks a lot for Thanks, the call, Andy. Andy. Good to hear from you. Let's come back with Coach Pat Casey. Honored uh, late last week with the news that he has been voted into the College Baseball Hall of Fame. There will be a ceremony in Overland Park, Kansas in mid-February on the eve of the 2024 season, which Andy just said will end up with yours truly calling games at TD Ameritrade in Omaha. Go, man, go. (laughs) Coach Casey took the Beavers and all of us six times and came back with three. It is still uh, just a, a staggering accomplishment. He joins us next on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. So we'll, uh, we'll finish that out at the end. Thank you, John. Mike Parker with John Warren and uh, a man, uh, that we have all been honored to know and, and be around and learn from and watch and watch his teams. I know that he approaches it with great humility because he has said uh, from day one, it's all about the players and the three national championships and his own uh, being voted into an upcoming induction next February into the College Baseball Hall of Fame is because of those guys. And it's clear that that message has been reciprocated because everywhere I look on X, formerly Twitter, and other social media posts. I'm not sure how many of those Pat actually sees because I don't know if Pat Casey's ever tweeted or X'd anything out, but the love is pouring in from former players congratulating him. And Pat, in the end, whether you see all the posts and the videos or not, uh, they join all of us and Beaver Nation in congratulating you for an honor well-deserved, but probably of all the tributes you get and hear from people, it's the players first and foremost in a time like this that you really appreciate hearing from, but congratulations, Coach. Well, thank you, Mike. I, I, I do uh, appreciate hearing from those guys. It's, it's really cool. Um, it's, it's just I wish I had a way to respond to... Uh, Everybody, I, I don't have a social platform, and so Hank finally rounded me up the other day and said, "Hey, you know, I can actually shoot you, and you can actually stay uh, because you know, text and email are, are the only way." So um, that that, and I'm sure a lot of those guys know it, but I just, you know, I know uh, I know it's a big deal, but for me, you know, it's it's just part of uh, what we all set out to do, and I, and I meant it when I said it's. Uh, yeah all of us. It's the guys that I got to coach with that, um, those guys, uh, over the years that I had so much fun with it's, it's managers and trainers, and doctors and radio guys and, um, people, just fans, you know, just, I always thought that if you're going to have something that's sustainable, you need to have everybody on the train, you know? And so, um, we're fortunate to have the best fan base in the world. They just, uh, 
they just needed uh, somebody to tell them there's something really, really cool to, to, to get after and be part of. And, and uh, that still is, is manifesting itself today. So I'm proud to be part of it and proud that you were part of it, Mike. Uh, you and I shared some amazing times. Probably never dreamed that when we were losing games in Portland with Charlie. And um, mm-hmm. here we are. Well, Pat, congratulations, and thanks for you know for mentioning you know that everyone who does you know in a, in a very real sense play a part, and I appreciate that only from the perspective you brought it up. That part of when you when you got to Oregon State, you did everything you could to build the ballpark up, to get lights, to expand the stadium, to re, you, know, you, you saw from day one and went to work. And that included even, let's get all our games on the radio and let's get a network of radio stations. I mean, even before you'd gone to Omaha, you were thinking about all of the things that encompass a program, right? <laughs> uh, it's funny, yeah, you mentioned all those things because I forgot some of, some of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll never forget asking a guy that, uh, about helping me get games on the radio, and he said, radio for <laughs> baseball? And I said, yeah, and he said, well, Hey, talk to this guy. And so then Daryl Lonnie and I started making some phone calls and I started getting a hold of some people. And, um, you know, I had a good friend of mine, Tim Hennessy, go in and tell one of the guys in the administration, Hey, you know, you, you need to, you need to help get this thing on the radio. People want to listen to that. He, uh, he kind of poo-pooed it a little bit, but, um, uh, Anyway, it, it was really, uh, yeah, you know, even when I went in and talked to my athletic director at the time about um, about building the ballpark, he kind of looked at me and he said, hey, you know, um, if you can do that, that's great, but I got I got to get this football thing turned around and I give you my blessing. And, uh, and I appreciate that he did that. And he allowed me to go out and, and really say um, that we're going to build a ballpark and we're going to find a way to build a ballpark. And I was smart enough to know that I wasn't a good enough coach that we didn't have something to bring people to. And that's not only just players, but fans, that it would be very difficult. And um, then, of course, the most difficult piece, Mike, of all, and you were in that transition, was uh, getting in the South, you know, mm-hmm. creating an opportunity for us that, uh, that was never there before. Pat, the other thing, too, is you were doing all of these things with a vision towards building the best possible program you could We'll get back to what it's all about and the great players that began to come in. But even in your, Darwin has told the story, and I've asked, I'll ask you about it now, but even in sharing your vision and pitch, so to speak, on the recruiting trail with Darwin, you said to Darwin something to the effect of, you come to Oregon State, you can be part of something special, we can win a Pac-10 championship together. And Darwin, Darwin has said he thought you were, quote, blowing smoke, I was going to come anyway, but... But you didn't even say to him, come to Oregon State and we can win a national championship together. I, I guess I'm just wondering, Pat, as, as the thing built and people like Darwin and Dallas and Jonah and others made commitments to come, did it even, <laughs> did your sense of vision and what was possible even grow from there? Well, you know, I don't think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like every, you know, most things that end up being. Uh, big, you know, I, I'm not sure that you actually look at it and say that I'm going to recruit Darwin Barney and we're going to go to Omaha as much as I felt like I'm going to recruit Darwin Barney and the first step we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to, watch it, we're going to win a championship. And um, so I, I'm not sure how I all, I thought about all that. Um, I never did lose the dream of, of playing in Omaha. You know, I used to be, when I was coaching at George Bach, which is a very important part of my career, 
I used to sit there and watch uh, games and just think that's got to be crazy. You know, that just has to be amazing. And so, um, you know, there was some, there was obviously a lot of things that we needed to do in order to make that happen. And, um, you know, part of that was getting guys like Darwin Barney. And if you look at Darwin Barney's background, um, he's stay, he won a state championship. He went to Omaha three times the three years he was here. You know, um, mm-hmm. there is no doubt about the fact that he's a winner. And, you know, I think uh, if you want to be a, a winner, you surround yourself with winners. And um, that's what recruiting is for me. It was if you look at a player and you say there's five players, four of them have similar talents, one of them sticks out, and you're a coach that goes after that one all the time, I'm not sure that always always works out the best. But if you go after the guy that has enough talent and he is a winner, I think that's the separator it sure was for me. Well, you're the one that said, someone said that you need your, your best player in the locker room to be your vo- your most vocal player in the in, in, on a team to lead a team to to greatness is that right well i'm not sure how i put that but what i do know is that there are there are players and they would even tell you that too being very very good baseball players at the end when we recruited we were recruiting top-notch division one players almost at every position where we did not obviously have the freedom to do that when i started but i think they'll even tell you there's there's a guy that we call a great player, and that is the one that that makes other players better. You know, very, very, very good players. Some of them can't do that. And um, uh, great players, they can. They can change other players. And we had people that were great players that you guys all uh, would recognize and probably name off the, off the top of your tongue that you would say, yeah, I can see how he influenced the club doesn't take anything away from some of the other players. It just means there's not a lot of great players in college athletics. And when you get one, um, you know it. You recognize it. A lot of people say they got the hit factor. Um, I don't know what they call it. They can call it whatever they want to call it. I call it, you know, a winner. Yeah. Yeah, so on the flip side of that, having gone through the, the growth and the building process, which could be considered a struggle, to get to that first 05 World Series or even the 06 win of the World Series, did you go through a period, Pat, where now you all of a sudden have opportunity to recruit guys you never could before, and you were kind of looking at, well, what do we do with this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that a lot of people wanted to go to Oregon State when they saw us on TV. And, uh, you know, uh, our highest-rated recruiting class uh, was probably the most difficult guys I ever coached. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just they're high-profile guys. They, they, they are used to um, certain ways of things being done. And I probably was not I probably did a, a, a poor job of, of understanding that, recognizing that, and um, maybe even being complicit with it a little bit. Um, and it was a frustrating time of my career. I had to, I had to uh, you know, I had to combat that a little bit. I had to uh, go against the grain a little bit with some people that were recruiting to say, I don't need the, all the best players in the country. I just need the ones that want to be here. And um, uh, we went through a period where I felt like we had really good guys. I stayed in touch with a lot of those guys during that period, but I also know that I could have done a lot better job 
with the high-profile guys at that time mm. of making them conform to what we did at Oregon State instead of me thinking possibly that, you know, hey, that's one of the areas that we that I can become more of a player's coach. Uh, you know, not sure that, that I did a very good job of that. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, it usually get you want to know how you're doing in anything, just look at the results. Um, I don't care what you do. Um, just if you look at the results and you're honest with yourself, then you, then you go back to where it all starts, and that's with you, and um, you reevaluate that. Pat Casey joining us. Uh, the 16th induction class and ceremony will take place for the College Baseball Hall of Fame February 15th in Overland Park, Kansas. And Pat, kind enough to join us here today on the Joe Beaver Show, reflecting on on the accomplishment, a great accomplishment. Pat, when you talk about reevaluate and, and take a look at yourself, how mu- that goes on with you, I know, on a, on a daily basis in a very real sense. But from the time you began your coaching journey at Fox, when you took it, in 88, and now here it culminates with you in the College Baseball Hall of Fame. Are there some major things you look at in your life and say, yeah, I had to adjust that, or I, I evolved my thinking in this place, in this area, et cetera? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And for baseball, you know, you, you get graded out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you get to look at your, the report card on Monday morning. And if you, if you can read and comprehend uh, that weekend will tell you how you did. Mm-hmm. And, and there are times, there are times when you're out, man. I mean, there, you know, uh, there are times when you don't have the personnel. You got to take that into consideration. You have to be fair to yourself. You have to be fair to the players. You know, is it, is it, am I asking, am I asking the team to do something that they, the personnel, um, doesn't meet that, that expectation with talent. And there's sometimes I did that too. You know, there's sometimes I, I probably felt like it, Maybe we should have done better. Uh, we should have won, and and maybe I wasn't looking at the whole picture of, uh, you know, uh, who we had, uh, who was injured, uh, what the circumstances were, um, and part of that's what made made me who I am too. Part of that is I had a lot of guys tell me that that, that some of my even coaches I said down with coaches that I coached that I'm dear friends with today that thought I was a little bit hard, um, mm-hmm. a little bit difficult, a little bit unrealistic, a little bit, um, and part of, part of what they said could have been correct. A part of what they said may not have been correct. Um, I just know that I, I, I couldn't be the weather vane in whichever way the wind is blowing, I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to establish the foundations of which we wanted to succeed on. And then I had to alter the message and learn better how to handle each and every player because they're all different. And when I first started coaching in 88, you didn't have to do that. You know, you, 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 you could do crazy stuff. You could run them all at five o'clock in the morning. You know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know um, then when you started getting a little wiser of how you motivate people and how, and, and, you know, I just, I just know that if the transfer portal was around, I'd have lost a hell of a lot of guys that had a hell of a lot of success mm-hmm. because they stayed and, and went through the journey and, and overcame all the difficulties that we all had together. And, um, you know, I always say that if everybody tries to fix all the problems on the journey, they're going to ruin the destination. And I mean that with other people trying to fix things for someone that needs to go through it on their own to figure out how to get off the mat and make it happen. And then when you do that, you feel so good. You feel so good. Mm -hmm. And, um, um, I believe that the guys that were wearing the uniforms in 06 that won a national championship, 
felt com- completely different than if it would have been someone like LSU, who's won several of them, mm-hmm. or Texas, who's won several. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just, it's like, wow, look what we just accomplished. And we went through as close as you could talk, you know, put it in context through hell as you could possibly go uh, from how we train, how we, how we had to come back, how we lost. Um, you know, uh, I remember one time, I think it was 06, we played that team out of Texas. Mike, remember we got rained out and we, uh, not rained out, but tied in a rain delay, had to play three games. Basically. We went like 18 innings in one of the games. Yes. And, yes. Yeah. And, uh, played Dallas Baptist and just got destroyed <laughs> in one of the games. And I go, how are we ever going to beat these guys? These guys are so much better than us. You know what I mean? And we can out and win the next two games. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there was a lot of, you know, guys helped me grow up in the game too, mm-hmm. by the way. You know, I, I, when I say I give credit to players, it's not like, hey, they went out there and, you know, we're these great players and so therefore we won. That's not how it works, you know. How it works is you, you get these players and you get them to say, you know what, we together collectively are willing to do this and even allow you to do some things that we really don't want to do, but we're going to do them because we know that ultimately it's good for us and we will do that through discipline. And then you got to listen to your guys. And, and Mike's well aware of that. He, he, was in, he was there. He was in the hotel. He was on the bus. He was on the plane. There's guys that, there was guys that influenced my uh, my ability to do a better job. Those guys that made me relax in the game. I never thought you could have a good time in the dugout until it was all over. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, right. Right. And so there were guys that made me laugh. They were, you know, and mm-hmm. that helped me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a completely way different beast in the, in the dugout in the end of my career than I ever was mm-hmm. at the beginning of my career. And, um, I, I just wasn't wise enough to understand that. And so, okay. Last thing for me. So, all right. So what you've just talked about, are, are great life lessons. And these are the things that, you know, you're just a few years older than me and Mike and, uh, <laughs> not older no, than no, Mike. you guys are the same age, but same, same time period. And we all kind of grew up under guys that were yeah. former yeah. world war two vets yeah. who were our coaches and they were old at the time. But in the seventies, these guys came from world war two and it was all about, like you said, go through it. Don't just run from it. And the deeper water you go through, the tighter the team is going to be in the end. Um, so where did you get it? Who, what was your coaching philosophy or, or, uh, who, who was your muse, if you will, when you were younger, if you wanted to be a coach, what did you draw? Where did you draw all your knowledge, your life lesson knowledge from to coach these guys? Well, first of all, I never set out to be a coach. And I mean that. So you talk about world war two vet being your coach. I had that guy living at home every day. So by the time I could (laughs) kick the slats out of the cradle, I was, I had the guy looking at me every day telling me, you know, hey, get your ass over there and get that done. <laughs> okay. And, and, um, Same here, by yeah, the way. I didn't have to worry. I was glad to go play for a tough guy uh, <laughs> in school. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, this is, a, this is a break, you know? <laughs> so um, I, don't, I don't believe I had anybody that was a coach that I looked at because I didn't know I was going to coach. I got released uh, June 22nd, 1987, July 5th reason i took the job at george fox mm-hmm. i was a head coach i never got to learn from anybody mm-hmm. there are good things about that and there are bad things about that john the good thing about it is that you get to know that you're accountable and responsible for everything that happens and you can't blame it on anybody else the bad thing is i didn't get a chance to learn from a person like mike gillespie or uh mark marcus or work under them and go out and do that um, so trial and error 
thank God for George Fox, you know, because nobody sees the mistakes you make at that level um, other than your players. Um, we had a tremendous amount of success at George Fox. But here again, we had good players. We went out and got good players. I had a president and an athletic director that absolutely supported everything that I did there. Um, we built batting cages there. We built stands. We built dugouts. Um, we recruited players that probably weren't really made for George Fox. It ended up being amazing guys. I got a text from my AD at George Fox the other day, just yesterday, Craig Taylor, that says, you know, hey, I, I put a lot of trust in you when you told me this guy was coming in. He didn't exactly meet the mission statement at George Fox. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm so proud of those guys. You know, mm-hmm. I, could, I could name a lot of them right now that went out, and some of them married George Fox guys. Uh, you know, I coached Kevin Goodman, you know, uh, Aaliyah Goodman's dad, you know, I mean, he was he was a good player, man. He played shortstop for us. He was from Mount Hood Community College. Um, so, um, trial and error, John. Yeah. And and and, um, and then I'll tell you that I don't ever I, – I, I will give myself credit for being wise enough to look across the diamond when I'm playing somebody like Mike Gillespie, Pat Murphy, um, people like that, and say, okay, all right, you know, I see, and I learned, and I, that, that group of coaches, when we got the Pac-10 South with Bob Milano and, and Pat Murphy and Marcus and Gary Adams and mm-hmm. the great and late Mike Gillespie, who, who was probably the best yeah. that I, I ever had against, um, that was, that was good stuff, man. Yeah. Hey, Pat, final thing. At, at his introductory press conference, our new football coach, Trent Bray, cited you and Mitch, Mitch Canham. He just said, hey, I've learned a lot from a lot of coaches. I'm curious, as we close, you've already referenced the portal and other things that Trent and all head coaches are dealing with now. What do you make of Trent being elevated from the D.C. to the head coach, your excitement level for him, and what you think he, taking this job, in leading us, all of us, through kind of a, a rough period, you know, uncertainties and all of that, what do you make of kind of his his place now as the head coach of this program? Well, grab a couple of patent books and read those because, you know, it's going to be a, we need real leadership, you know. Yeah. Uh, this guy, first of all, I, I hope that people view this as that, that he did not get the job because he got the job because he earned it. He worked. He made himself a candidate to be the head coach by what he has done in the world of football. And everybody that I've talked to, and I saw, as you well know, Trent play. I saw him coach. I followed him. Um, I, I watched his dad coach, followed him. Um, Trent is football through and through. Trent loves football. and um, But I think that it's a mistake for us to look at it like, well, we're going – you know, we were not in the conference, and hey, some things are difficult. Those are all true. All of them are mm-hmm. true. And we had a really good coach leave. All that's true. But Trent has earned this job. He is a bona fide, qualified, Division One head football coach. And, and I think that the best thing that he can do, and what he probably already is doing, is represent himself just like that. You know, if you want something to be big, you got to be big, you know? If you want this place to be big, make it a big place. If you want to be good at something, do good things. And Trent's earned that position. Um, just super cool, super happy for him. Um, and I get it, man. Um, you're standing there watching guys that, that you know, coming and going, and the transactions of, 
of college athletics right now, um, which are not good for the student athlete. They are not good uh, in the overall, um, you know, in my opinion. And, and I don't blame the student athlete, you know. Right. It's like free ice cream. You know, you're going to eat too much of it, right? And it's, it's going to, you know, you're going to have a problem. And so um, they've, they've opened the door for things to be um, a, a little bit more, uh, there's a little bit more freedom than someone should have, I think, to, uh, you know, get to where they want to go. I, I've always said, if you want to see production go down, give somebody something they haven't earned, mm-hmm. and you will see production reduce. You'll see performance um, uh, go down. It's just, it's just it's the way it is in life. You know, give somebody something, they'll quit working. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's yeah. just the way it is. So anyway, I think Trent's the right guy. And when I say that, I don't mean that in the context of, hey, you know, we got all these problems and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. I say it from the fact that he is qualified to be the head coach in, in any conference. Right, right. Thank you, Pat, for that. We're out of time. There's so many other things that we just barely scratched the surface on, but we always appreciate you making time for us. We appreciate you, and congratulations on, from all of Beaver Nation listening today and, and everywhere on a well-deserved uh, honor to be selected into uh, the College Baseball Hall of Fame. Thank you, Pat, for your time today. We appreciate it as always. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, John. And thank you, Beaver Nation. Thanks, Coach. We'll talk soon. We're going to bring Dave Kell and then then Davey Kell. He came along the scene. He's coming up next. We're going to blow by the top of the hour break. As I nod my head and wink to John, he's going to find a way to do it. And then we'll have Lily Hansford. But Dave Kell next on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker, John Warren, what an honor to have the great Pat Casey. And, John, you and I got off the air and said, like Canzano talking to his own wife, Anna, on his own show yesterday, I think it was, or whenever Pat was on, maybe Monday. John finishes the interview and says, man, I could have talked to him all day. And that's how you feel about any conversation with him. And so we really There's not enough time, but it'll all, I hope, all be in the book, a book. You know, what Pat said, I never thought I'd be an author or a coach or whatever else when he was just grinding away, playing ball, trying to get to yeah. the major leagues. Yeah. He had the dates in mind, released on a certain day, and a couple of weeks later, George Fox calls his hometown university college then and says, we want you to be our head baseball coach. And I'm not even sure he'd ever even thought about it. I, know I wonder how they knew. When Pat, when Pat, when I was with Pat the day he got released in the news, and it was sad. And I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I don't know. (laughs) You know, I'll look around for another job. He was getting his real estate license. All of those things, we'll talk again. And we have talked here and there over the years with Pat about such matters. We'll pick up the conversation again with the Hall of Famer down the road. It is a pleasure for us to welcome in a great beaver from a great beaver family, the proprietor of the newly named, recently we'll get the story on that, the Beaver City Sports Bar in Delhi, formerly known as University Hero. I still saw a sign yesterday on one of the sidewalls downtown that still says University Hero, but rebranded as Beaver City Sports Bar and Delhi, 215 Southwest 5th Street, downtown Corvallis. The proprietor, Dave Kell, had two sons play football for the Beavers in uh, Devon and Drew. Both did great things. that I'm sure makes our next guest burst with pride over that. Dave Kell joins us. We'll have a show at his place Saturday night at 8 o'clock, Talking Beavers. Dave, it's great to have you on today. Thanks for joining us. And 
Let's just start with uh, Saturday night. You're, you've stepped up and invited us in to do the TV show there, Talking Beavers. It's open to the public. Everyone's invited. Dave, I just want to say thank you for doing that. Uh, tell us a little bit what kind of motivated you to get on board with that show. Well, uh, promotion. I need to get yeah. their name out there. Right. Um, and you guys are awesome, so... Well, thank you. How can there, I go wrong? There is an investment, right? I mean, you, you, this is a kind of a... Tell us about the venture. You, you you bought it from a great businessman who bought it from Scott Sanders, and then Bob Van Vliet did a great job with the University Hero. You saw an opportunity here. You've renamed the place. Tell us a little bit just sort of the your thinking and your plan and your excitement level for these early days as Beaver City Sports Bar in Delhi. Yeah, well, um, you know, I went one year with the same names, um, University Hero and History Growlers. Mm -hmm. And people would come in and they're like, oh, where's the Growler spot? And it just led to, hey, we got to brand it as one name for both spots. And I was sitting there thinking, and, you know, my grandfather owned a bowling alley in, the, in my hometown, and he had a Barb City restaurant, and we were the home of the Barbs in DeKalb, Illinois. So I said, we're Beaver City. So let's go with Beaver City. Okay. I like it. It works. It's, yeah. It works perfectly. Dave, thank you for doing that. So DeKalb Illinois, DeKalb, Illinois is a little bit different of a locale than Hilo, Hawaii. So I'm just wondering, <laughs> you know, uh, take us a little bit through your own journey. I've, you know, I know both of your sons was proud to call games when they were playing as Beavers, but how did you kind of end up there and then make your way back to the mainland and into Corvallis? Well, I ended up uh, in Hawaii orders uh, when I was in the Navy. Um, met some people, said, hey, come back when you get out. I got out, met my wife, ended up staying for 28 years. Okay. And uh, my oldest son came here, uh, talked to both Riley and uh, Pat Casey, and they both liked him. So the first one, Devin, came here, started playing football, loved it. My youngest, Drew, was a football and baseball player as well. And uh, he's like, Dad, I want to go there as well. And I said, well, we're going to have to get over there. So <laughs> we ended up moving over and staying. Yeah. yeah, we're glad you did, Dave. Dave Kell, the proprietor of Beaver City Sports Bar in Delhi. It's interesting to me, you mentioned Devin talking to Mike Riley and to Pat Casey. Devin was a good baseball player, an outfielder, and even... From what I read in an article written years ago, I think by Connor Latorno, uh, Dave, that Devin was essentially not kicked off, but he lost his spot as a quarterback on the Hilo High School football team because he came over to the area code games in Long Beach and missed a mandatory workout or something back in Hilo yeah, that, because he loved baseball. Yes, yes. That is an absolute true story. It was unbelievable. Uh, he was actually not going to be allowed to be on the team at all. And uh, we got him back on with a lot of fighting. And, uh, you know, it was kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it and is. Playing, playing Division One football, you know, one of only two kids out of that school um, at that time to play. So, you it's, know, it, Dave, it that, worked out. It did. It's a great story, but it... To me, it runs counter to I'm glad you fought a good fight and at least got him back in, and he played defensive end, which is what he ends up doing over here, which is tremendous. But I hear coaches talk about the value of multi-sport experiences and being a multi-sport athlete. 
I'm not sure that was properly understood by whoever was running the Hilo program if he penalized Devin for coming over for an area code experience in Long Beach, California. You, I, I would think we would want our young people to be playing multiple sports. Oh, for sure. He was playing uh, the game. The same guys on his team were uh, Bryce Harper, uh, Mike Piazza's nephew. I mean, we've got, we had people there that were, you know, all-stars. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had to do it because it's an opportunity getting out of Hilo, Hawaii. Um, and those don't come around too often. Dave, uh, I have a quick question. Yeah. How's Drew doing? I covered him in high school at CV. He's doing great. He's getting his master's degree in uh, secondary education. Hopes to be a teacher here in Corvallis one of these days. His wife is the uh, assistant gymnastics coach. Um, has two sons now, and uh, so does Devin. So I've got four grandsons. Um, don't know if we're working on any more, but... <laughs> Well, I feel old. I feel name might be synonymous around here for a while. Yeah, no, I thought he was such a tremendous receiver. I just feel old because it seemed like yesterday, you know, he was running around at Crescent Valley High School. It does go fast. Yeah. It does go fast. That's not lost, I'm sure, on Dave and, and uh, his wife, Dana, and your own move over here. And you... You did different things for a while. We'll close again with an invitation to Beaver Nation to come out Saturday night, Dave. But you had you had a food truck. You, I don't know if you still have the coffee place downtown. My daughter and I like to. We've been there a few times over the years, kind of across from the Peacock. Do you still have that, too? That is my middle son, Dylan. Okay, he runs that. Okay, yeah. that's cool. That's all his. He started it uh, right before COVID hit, and... Thank goodness he was a walk-up and uh, survived COVID and built a huge base of, of fans of his coffee. Yeah, so, it's, a, it's yeah. a good place, and my daughter, Elle, and I enjoy it. And I, I, It's been a while since we've been there, but that's good to know. I'll pop in again and see him soon. I'm glad to hear that. But this venture into, out of, I don't know if you, you owned... Uh, an actual, you know, walk-in restaurant until this. Had you before uh, University Hero that you bought? No, I'm a 26-year uh, retiree from the Postal Service. And uh, growing up, though, as a kid, I worked uh, all my summers for a pizza place in, in the suburbs of Chicago, DeKalb, and uh, loved it. And I said, when I retire and my kids are all grown up, I'm going to do what I want to do instead of what I have to do. Well, we are really glad, and I hope things with the new branding and all of that are going well and will continue to prosper for you, Dave. But Saturday night, tell us a little bit about the setup and what you encourage fans who want to come. It's it's not technically live on Root Sports. It's It'll be essentially live to tape, but A.J. McCord, Jason John Baptiste, yours truly, and we hope a lot of fans. I think we want to kind of turn it into a rally for Beaver Nation during these sort of difficult, challenging times. Let's have a good time together, huh, Saturday night at your place. For sure. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Uh, come out and check us out. We're uh, basically the same, but just rebranded and, uh, you know, bigger TVs, best place to watch a game if you're not, you know, able to watch it at home or go to the game. We'll be there, Dave, and really appreciate you stepping up in this time for a Sun Bowl special for Talking Beavers at uh, Beaver City Sports Bar in Delhi. 
uh, Saturday night, 8 o'clock, 215 Southwest 5th Street. Uh, we hope for a great crowd and atmosphere and know we're going to have a good time together. Dave, congratulations on uh, the new venture. Thanks for taking time to reflect on a great Oregon State story with us today on the Joe Beaver Show. Thank you, Mike. Okay, talk to you soon, Dave. Let's break. Come back with Lily Hansford from the Oregon State women's basketball team. Open phones thereafter on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker with John Warren. Our thanks to Pat Casey and Dave Kell joining us on the show, and we keep it all in the family with our next guest, Lily Hansford. Southpaw, combo guard, point guard in high school, tremendous shooting guard, 39% from three-point range this season, shooting it well, helping the Beavers off to their great start. It's a, a pleasure to welcome Lily Hansford, the pride of Green Bay, Wisconsin. So we'll, of course, at some point, talk Green Bay Packer football <laughs> and see if indeed it was a part of her life and her family growing up. I imagine it has to be if you live there. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that in a minute. First of all, Lily, good afternoon. Thank you for your time. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you guys for having me today. Yeah, thanks for coming on. How how do finals go? You guys who are student-athletes are amazing to me, how you manage your time the responsibilities, everything that's on your plate. How is finals week in light of all of it that is on your plate going so far this week? Yeah, for me, um, I actually finished the finals yesterday, Ah, so a little bit stress-relieved going through the rest of the week. Good for you. Do you still have classes where you go to them? Because I've heard a lot of people, they, they live on campus, they go to school, but some of the classes are online. Yeah, um... During finals week, all the only time you go to your classes to take the test, else there is no class. And then online, just take the test online. So, Lily Hansford, our guest, what are you majoring in, Lily? Uh, I am majoring in digital communications with a minor in marketing. Okay. Do you have an eye for a career beyond basketball yet? Uh, a goal, something you really want to be involved in professionally through the years? Yeah, um, one of my dream jobs is to be a sideline reporter. So, um, yeah, that's kind of what okay. I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Are, are you getting any experience, or do you find yourself practicing? Do you watch games and think, okay, how would I interview this person here? What would I say? Do you practice? I guess what I'm wondering is you can take classes and have a major but do you find yourself kind of thinking along those lines and practicing a little bit as you go? Um, yeah, sometimes I'll think about um, what I would say to um, someone. Um, but one thing that I like to get my advice from is Ron um, Cowan, yes. who's our radio guy. Yes, um, he, he is. He does a great job. He does, and and you have a, a, a wonderful man, person, mentor. If, indeed, you have any questions about the profession, he's done it all, and would right. have some things to say, no doubt. What kind of, Lily, was there anything along the way growing up or when you got onto a, I'd like to be in the media, sideline reporter, how, whatever that ends up looking like, what kind of led you down that road in the first place? Um, I feel like just watching sports and then seeing people get interviewed after games was kind of what I thought. I was like, hey, like I could do that. Um, mm-hmm. like That would be fun. 
stuff like that. Cool. Hmm. Lily Hansford, our guest, and so you get to be both uh, Ron can interview you before and after games. (laughs) Do you sort of like that, embrace it? Not everybody does. Are you fairly comfortable with doing it and enjoy being asked? Yeah, I actually do really enjoy um, interviews. Last year, I was a little more timid and shy, but I feel like this year, um, I'm a lot more comfortable. So Good. Let's talk a little hoop. Yeah. 6'2 point guard in high school and 6'2 guard now. No wonder you have, you're you one of the leaders in block shots on the wing because these shorter point guards aren't going to expect that you've got to reach. Are you taking advantage <laughs> of that? Yeah. Um, in high school, I... Uh, blocked a lot of shots too and then last year um it was something i had to figure out um because obviously in college people are better and they're better at finishing in different ways so then just being able to figure out you know how to see what i don't know like how they're going to shoot it and then figure out where to put your hand so that you can block them instead of following lily hansford our guest here on the joe beaver show you seem like a real calm, cool, collected person. <laughs> when you're when you're involved in school and team, you guys are undefeated. Does any of the noise of what's going on with the conference and things like that does that enter into it? Are you are you focused though? Rather than that, you're focused on what you're doing. Yeah, I feel like this year, you know, our team is just focused on this season and, you know, controlling what we can control and then everything that happens outside will happen and then we'll move from there. Um, But, yeah, no, right now we're just focused on this season. We'll talk about what's next here in a minute with uh, Lily Hansford joining us here on the Joe Beaver Show. Uh, Weekend coming up at the end of finals week, the women playing Friday against uh, Santa Clara. That's up next. And then uh, the men Sunday. Uh, as the week kind of winds down and, and and a lot of big games ahead for both programs. Lily and, and John said, let's get to basketball. And, and indeed, I'm wondering, from year one to two, what you worked on and the things that were eye-opening as a freshman last year and the things that you said, okay, this is, <laughs> this is big-time basketball here now. Not that it wasn't where you were, but... What were some of those eye-opening experiences and things you went to work on on your game coming into this, your sophomore year? Yeah, I feel like my biggest thing um, for me was defense. Um, in high school, I was never really asked to play defense. It was kind of just I was bigger, taller than everyone. Um, and then when I came to college, uh, defense was, you know, obviously if you don't play defense, you're probably not going to play. And that's kind of how it was for me. Um which is okay because I obviously knew I needed to get better at it. And um, so, yeah, so I feel like that's kind of what I worked on every day. And then it started. I started figuring it out towards the end of last season. I got to play a lot more minutes towards the end of the season. Um, and then this year I continued to, you know, have it figured out. And I feel like that is probably my biggest change from this year to last year. It is still curious to me, though, Lily, I hear people talk about, and any guest we have on from women's basketball, it's the greatest answer as far as I'm concerned in the world. What's important to you? What are you working on? And almost everybody says defense. You got here and fully understood to play for Scott, to play for this program. You got to be able to defend and got to be willing and got to commit to it. But how does one work on defense? I can see how you could work on you know, dribbling and shooting and catching and shooting and crossover dribbles and, and all of that on your own with nobody else around. 
Can you work on defense when nobody else is around? How so? Uh, yeah, you can a little bit. Um, it's easier to go if, with a partner for sure. Um, but just, you know, for me, like ball screens is a big one, um, mm-hmm. figuring out how to get through those. And then also in health defense, being in the right spot all the time is a big um, thing as well. And then also being low. That was, I still struggle with that and staying low. So. It's still something I'm continuing to work on. But. As you will, because you're 6'2", and you're playing out on the wing, so that's not easy. Yeah. Lily, last yeah. thing on this, on, on the commitment of the mindset to defense. It, does it become, as you go and the longer you're in the program, a little bit more second nature or automatic in terms of, okay, ball here, I jump to the ball here. I do. You know what I mean? The rules that Scott and Jonas and coaches – kind of instill is that kind of a, you get here and you find out hey this is pretty big and pretty important and you're drilled on it on a pretty regular basis yeah uh i definitely feel like it becomes second nature for sure uh we work on defense every day for you know probably like 45 minutes um of just you know constant you know ball movement of our scout guys that just keep coming at us and we just have to continue to defend and get stopped so mm-hmm that's nice. Great. Thank you for yeah. reflecting on that. Defense first. That's a beautiful thing. But there are other things. There are other things in life, too. Well, yeah, exactly. You grew up in, in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Were you, were you in, involved in that? Where it was your, were you a part of the, the consortium of fans that get to own part of the club? How, what was it like growing up in Green Bay? Uh, it was so much fun. Um, my parents would take my brother and I to games all the time, and then we would like during the cold games we'd get all suited up and we'd have like <laughs> snow pants boots we'd have hand warmers and our gloves and our boots like just everywhere you can imagine i don't know so it was just super fun um every time we got to go to packer games um but yeah were you season ticket holders or was it the kind of occasional hey two, one or two or three times a year once every other year how often did you go uh i would say it was probably about two times a year okay. um but then uh, now my some of my parents' friends have box seats, nice. or like they own like box seats up top, so we oh. get to go a lot more. Um, wow, which is cool. Indoors yeah. box seats or outdoor box seats? Uh, indoor. Like a loge or a suite. <laughs> oh. That's beautiful. Yeah, take advantage yeah. of that. Living the life. Do you yeah, follow nice them? Stuff. Do you? I mean, are your parents? I mean, we're asking sort of the cliche issue. Green Bay. Yeah. Is it almost impossible? To not, I mean, everybody's got to be totally into the Packers there in that town. Did you feel that with your teammates when you played high school ball there? I mean, is just everybody all in in that community? Uh, I would say for the most part. And if the kids, like people, like my friends, if they weren't, usually their parents were. Okay. And usually, <laughs> like like my my art basement back home um, in Green Bay, like my dad has so many jerseys of like Packers stuff. It's like. Total memorabilia, super cool. Okay, but. but here's the true measurement. Would you have felt comfortable going to school wearing a Cowboys T-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I my roommate Adley, she is a Cowboys fan, and she's always telling me it's America's football team. Ah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think it might be the Packers. Now you're in Titletown. You know that. Yeah. Yeah. Did Did your dad grow up there? I mean, is that his hometown? So he has memories of some of those great Packer teams. Maybe even under Vince Lombardi. Is he old enough to know those days? 
he his favorite player is Brett Favre, and he yes, he okay. did grow up in Green Bay, but I don't know. If yeah, the wants. Lombardi, we're pushing it now. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I don't want to throw <laughs> yeah. your dad. How old your dad? Yeah. But, Lombardi did retire from the Packers after the 1967 season, but he was pretty good, and they named the trophy after him. So you do live in a hallowed place in the sporting landscape. But we're glad. We'll close on this. How did a young person out of Green Bay find her way to Oregon State in Corvallis? Yeah, um, during AU um, is when – Coach Ruick, he reached out to me and started recruiting me. And then ever since then, you know, Oregon State was by far my favorite school that I had talked to throughout my whole recruiting process. So it was kind of just like I kind of knew type thing. Um, and then with during COVID, I was never able to go on any visits, which made it uh, a little more difficult. But, you know, just the relationships I made with the coaches here at Oregon State. And you could really tell that they um, were like a family-oriented uh, culture, it just kind of was like a no-brainer for me, I feel like. But but distance wasn't an issue for you or your parents? What's that? Distance, distance was not an issue? Uh, no, it was, wasn't an issue. Okay. Good. We're glad, you, you know, that that wasn't an obstacle for you to find your way to Oregon State. We're proud of what you and the team is doing and, and look forward to seeing you Friday night against Santa Clara with Ron Callen, our good friend on the call. <laughs> Lily, it is a, uh, it's a pleasure to get to visit with you in this context. Congratulations on the success you and the team are having. Thanks for joining the Joe Beaver Show today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Lily Hansford. I like it. Uh, that basement, I bet, is cool, but Brett Favre. Not Bart Starr. You didn't say that Bart Starr. <laughs> you got to remember, you and I are no, older than, old. than the athletes' we parents. We just got flat out old. In fact, if I would have said, was your dad a big fan of Bart Starr? She yeah. might have come. Uh, who? 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 <laughs> Shaq to Lenny Wilkins. Did, Le, did you play the did game? Did you play the game? He's a Hall of Famer. Oh, my gosh. We are old. So is Al Michaels. He's out. Yeah. And he was told by the New York Post. That's guy. just wrong. He's told by the busboy. Hey, we got a break. Open phones the rest of the way. 497-5356. 497-5356. Any thoughts on Steve Kerr's rant? What are we doing here? Technical, <laughs> techno din. It's like a nightclub here. And yet... Jim Wilson's daughter herself said, it's, Dad, I love it. It feels like a nightclub out there. We're referring to research. So we got to be younger. We got to stay younger. We got to be Lily Hansford to be I'll, younger. I'll younger. always hate it. But what do you make of it all? How do you feel about the noise and what Steve Kerr said? And <laughs> what are we doing here when he said, I couldn't hear myself think? The L.A. Bowl, I will say, the Jimmy Kimmel L.A. Bowl had an element where Jim Wilson and I, at the end of the deal, yeah. had headaches, literally headaches. Yeah. Just, and maybe young people are inured to that. They're so used to it. It's just, you know. Well, part of that problem was the constant yelling by the P PA Well, guy. I know. And I, I know. don't know that from the bowl game. I wasn't there, but I do know it because I went to a Rams game. And you know what year. we're talking about. Yeah, it was yeah. awful. So, awful or, or great. A nightclub atmosphere. Here we go. So, if you have any thoughts on any of these matters, Al Michaels, yeah, it was time. He was getting a little time, no. time for Alfalfa to move on as Howard called him, alfalfa. Now, speaking of that, as we go to break, 52 years ago tonight, when Lily was talking about being bundled up, and all, 52 years ago tonight, Johnny, one of the, my favorite days ever in my life, my dad, 52 years ago tonight, December 13th, 1971, 
L.A. Rams, Washington Redskins, George Allen coming back for a Monday night football showdown. My dad and I went Monday night football. The only time, it was only the second year of the existence of Monday night football. And I went with my dad to the L.A. Memorial Coliseum and watched Billy Kilmer and company beat the Rams and Tommy Prothrow, 38 to 24. My dad's, we were so happy for the Redskins and I was in Redskin, you know, T-shirt <laughs> fan in L.A. People booing me and jeering me, the Rams fans. But I was a George Allen and Redskins fan and that was one of my favorite nights ever. And it was cold that night, really cold, Lily. 50 Come degrees water, in Los 44 Angeles? 44 degrees. <laughs> it was really cold that night, but I was there. I remember exactly where I was sitting, December 13th, 1971. And at halftime, they had a punt, pass, and kick competition. And I've learned this since. The winner that night in the Coliseum, and I watched this big kid, yeah, Andy Reid. I saw that on Twitter somewhere. But that was the that night was you were there? That was that night I was there, and I said, you know, I said, I think that guy's going to be a good coach someday, Dad. <laughs> Let's take a break. 497-5356, even if he does complain too much. The Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. Yeah, we are know, back. 52 years ago tonight. Happen. The thing I like, too, about my I dad. I was going to be a smart aleck and say, you're a thousand years old. I am a thousand. That's but I was, why... I was six when that happened. Yeah. yeah I didn't start watching of... Monday Night Football until I think I was eight. Favorite memories in life. Yeah, I mean to have to go with your dad to a Monday oh, night football game. That would never happen in my world. Never. It was an unbelievable night, and I remember too. We were L.A. traffic. Imagine that going to a Monday night football game in L.A. Coming twenty five miles in from Hacienda Heights through the freeway system. You had traffic in seventy <laughs> one. There wasn't anybody Jeff down Petrie. there in seventy <laughs> one. I'm going Jeff Petrie on you right now. <laughs> that the traffic is the reason we moved to Oregon. My dad hated it so really? much, driving through the L.A. metro area as a superintendent for a construction company from job to job. Montebello. And he had one of those moments, almost a falling down yeah. uh, Michael Douglas yeah. type moment. He didn't get out of the car, but he's just like, what am I doing here? What? When he knew there was this town called Cottage Grove that he'd driven <laughs> through after World War II, taking fuel around to gas stations, and he remembered... Cottage Grove. He liked the name of the town, wow. the look of the town, the feel of the town. So when my mom became ill with cancer in November of 1970, he he had that almost revelatory moment. I don't want to be a widower mm -hmm. and raise my children here. In this, yeah. And so wow. that behold, from 71 to 73, before we made the move, trying to sell our house, we couldn't move until we sold our house, all in on country music. Maybe. But, you know. And waiting to move to Cottage Grove, but it was just my dad one day had that moment stuck in traffic. I don't want to maybe you have here to go the back rest to of the my life. Forties where there wasn't traffic problems. So he that night on our way in, you know, getting through the traffic, trying to get there for the six o'clock kickoff. You know, the, I'm as excited as possible. When I was eight, when I was 1967, yeah. four years earlier, he let me run the last mile through traffic outside the car to get to the big A for the All-Star game. I wasn't quite in the mood to do that in the Coliseum and all that. It was, I didn't even ask, I don't think. Yeah. He bumped into, the, he rear-ended a car right in front of him as we're off, the, not on the freeway, getting off the freeway mm -hmm. down the surface streets heading to the Coliseum. He rear-ended a car gently, not real hard. Yeah. And we're getting kind of late for the game, listening to Dick Enberg on the pregame on the way in and all that. And I just remember loving my dad for this moment. 
a woman gets out of the car to come back and, you know, do the exchange. Yeah. My dad, oh, it's nothing. Look, there's nothing here. Yeah, go. There's nothing. I did. I barely touched you. Yeah. And my dad showing a little bit of assertiveness there, which I, he was a gentle soul and spirit. Yeah. But he didn't want us, me, he didn't want us to miss any of the game going through all the nonsense of exchanging insurance information yeah, yeah, and all yeah. that. So off we went. <laughs> now, he may have erred. Ah, oh, it's so bad of your dad. I thought it was the greatest thing in the world because we're going to make kickoff after all. Well, plus, you know, in 1971, they had those big old giant uh, chrome uh, bumpers. Right. That's so, kind of my dad's Bumper point. on bumper, no Look, harm, no foul, let's go. Had, had we really rear-ended her, it would have been a jolting jar. And yeah, thing. He yeah. would have done the right thing. But he did the right thing in that moment. And I remember thinking, Dad, I love you. We're going to go see George <laughs> Allen here in about 20 minutes. 38-24 Redskins. A beautiful night, December 13th, 52 years ago tonight. I'm sure Tumwater can relate on many levels to our conversations today. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Yeah, I remember listening to the first uh, Monday night football game on the radio. I was... Uh, I had already graduated from Plattsburgh. I'd gone back up to see my then girlfriend. I uh, was driving home and listened to the game uh, on the uh, radio late at night, Eastern Time Zone, thinking what a marvel it was. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a very good memory. So three topics today, Mike. Hope I can get through them quickly. The Casey interview, the latest from Drake Toll and the Super Conference, and yes. then something on the legal front. So. Great interview with Pat Casey. And your question, John, was particularly good uh, about, you know, who, uh, who Pat's uh, muse was. Uh, I just have so much admiration for that guy. And I, in particular, loved his take on Trent Bray. And it reminded me of something I've, been, I've, made, I've made note to make mention of previous calls, but I've failed to since I've been listening to Canzano lately. Um, with some trepidation, I must add, but I've, I've been doing so because of his, uh, he's been at the forefront of some breaking news and mm-hmm. you just you can't, uh, you have to avail yourself. Mm-hmm. But Canzano tells the story about how, uh, earlier, uh, this year he, he wanted, he, he commissioned a photographer at Oregon state road games to take photos in particular of the head coach mm-hmm. so that he could later post them on his blog. And twice, not once, twice, the photographers who did not know who the head coach was <laughs> right. took photographs of Trent Bray on the sideline because the guy looked like a head coach. And I swear this is true, guys. If I've said once, I've said a dozen times to my son or other people I've been sitting around uh, at the stadium the last couple of years. If I've said it once, I've said it a dozen times. Look at Trent Bray. Look at him, coach, down there on the sideline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm, I'll, uh, I'm just lending some credence to the Canzano story, to Pat Casey's analysis. I think we've got a winner. I do have one question, though, Mike, about what came up in your interview. I thought you were the first broadcaster of Oregon State baseball. I mean, I always. I knew Daryl went way back with football, but when did Oregon State baseball coverage? Begin on KEJO, and maybe as an addendum, when did the network occur? Mm-hmm. Dougie would know more about the origins of the actual coverage. I know back then, 
they would um, they would have bidding wars because KEJO was its own station with its own owner. KLOO was its own station with its own owner. There were there were two. Two, there were four radio stations in Corvallis, two AM and uh, two AM and two FMs. K Fly was K right, and they were owned by different <clears throat> different people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario Pestega owned K E J O K Fly, and he was the Pepsi guy. And then uh, different ownership of Clue, and of course they all got bought up and put into this one umbrella, which is where we sit right now. But they would bid against each other to see who, and all the players that we know today. Um, some names that you, you you might not know, but we do hear from way back. We're all a part of it all. How Cowan was in the middle of it all, and I think baseball was used as a tool to to win over to win over the rights if the bids were very close. And but I don't know the year. Yeah. And and Dave, in answer to that though, too the nineteen. I don't know. Kip might know. Kip probably would. Kip Carlson is the uh, the great historian in matters such as this. Baseball on the radio, a pretty low profile for a long time, to the point that the 1990, 1990 Baseball Media Guide listed, there will be 11 games broadcast this year on so-and-so radio station. Yeah. 11. Yeah. Interesting. And so, Pat, well, 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 what I'm saying, Daryl did some games, Kip did some games. There were a lot of games on the radio, but not all of them. And the great Daryl Lonnie himself, a great baseball announcer, too, certainly one of the best ever in football and basketball. Daryl did a lot of games. Pat says he remembers in 98 when Mitch Barnhart, after some big wins over the the, the 98 season when the Beavers were, uh, it was almost as bad, maybe worse than 2016 being left out. In 98, Pat had a club that went 35-14 and 14 and went 7-2 and two against South Division schools, sweeping Arizona at the end of the year. I mean, just doing some amazing things, beating the eventual national champion USC, I think taking winning a series against UCLA, sweeping against uh, Arizona. And Pat says, I remember when it looked like we had clinched a, a spot in the NCAA tournament, Mitch taking him up the stairs into the rickety press box to sit down with Daryl Lonnie and talk about it. Hmm. So there were games just not a full schedule of games. And in fairness, while Pat wanted to get a network of stations, you know how these things work, in 2005, during the run to the Pac-10 championship, all of the games were then on the radio. When I started games in 99, virtually all of them from that point on were on the air, home and away, starting in 2000, right here on this frequency or a combination of those 1340. But in uh, 2005, when the team began to make its run, a station in Hillsborough, Mm KUIK, 1360, said, we want to take, we're going to start broadcasting these games the rest of the year and into the regionals and beyond. I think that was the start of the And that was the start, and then other stations after 2005 came on board, Dave. So until 2005, KEJO was the only yes. radio station that that's carried cr- all of the Beaver Base. That's audience. correct. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. Well, I'm glad to have that history, Mike. Thanks for that. So on to Drake Toll. So <clears throat> he had an interesting take. He's had an interesting take the last two days. Uh, he still thinks this big uh, Yormark's going to build this big super conference, but the but the selling card. I think Toll's right about this. The selling card about this big super conference, once the big uh, big fish and the ACC go to the SEC, 
uh, or the Big Ten or whoever. When the leftovers mm-hmm. are added to the not whatever, 16, maybe Oregon State, Washington State come in, and I do think that's going to happen. The selling point, guys, I think Toll is right. It will be an eminently competitive conference. And what he means by that is the Big Ten, it's always, I mean, there, every once in a while there's an interloper, but year after year, Ohio State and Michigan. In the old Big 12, every year, it's Oklahoma mm-hmm. and Texas. Mm-hmm. In the, what will soon be the old ACC every year, it's Florida State and Clemson. And in our own Pac-12 guys, every year, usually it was SC, University of Washington, University of Oregon. Total theory is that this competitive super conference will be eminently watchable football because there's not going to be one, there's going to be, a, there's going to be parity in that league. And I think he's on to an interesting point. It's going to take some time to get there. The ACC is going to have to fold. Those dominoes will probably start going within six to nine months. And then at the Pac-2, Pac-12 is going to sort itself out. But I think Toll's on to an interesting idea. Okay, yeah. I think he's right that, that the conference, if all of the schools that could potentially make it up, it's going to be a wide-open battle, I would think. Yes, with a lot of teams staking claims and, and, and year-in and year-out cyclical, perhaps, in nature. But you feel like going in, you'd have a, a chance to really be uh, win the thing or, you know, or place very high in it relative to the playoff would be a good thing. Yes, and then yeah. lastly, on the legal front, I, I don't maybe you guys mentioned it. Perhaps you've seen some uh, reference to it in your news feed. But it's worthy of remark that the uh, the attorney general for the state of Florida is, has started an inquiry into antitrust, the anti an antitrust inquiry into the operation of the college football playoff, and the and the single line of dialogue that emerged out of a week ago or whatever they they settled on the final four that she mentioned three times during her uh, press conference is she's quoting. One college football player, one college football playoff member saying, quote, I can't believe we're going to have to do this. In other words, somebody is pulling the string. So, so all of the dominoes are falling into place. The ACC is collapsing. There's already an antitrust initiative for a different set of reasons mm-hmm. that the Pac-2 are facing, but, there's a, but, but this is an is. This is a very almost chaotic situation. There's a lot of dominoes to fall, and I think Oregon State rushes this downstream. But I thought again that it's uh, that uh, we're not what, what John and Alan have often talked about. You know, where's the antitrust? Where's the collusion? Yeah, that cat is now officially out of the bag in the state of Florida, and there might be other parties joining that investigation in due course. Dave, I submit. Dave. It, perfect timing. Yes, John. Perfect timing on what you just said about this this lawsuit and antitrust. I was just going to slip in a quick question before you went, before you left. If you thought that there was enough there that might bring it over to the antitrust that I've been talking about, do you think there's anything? Do I think? Yeah. Do you think, based on what you've heard and you've known, because you you follow this stuff closer oh, than I do, and you know and you read and you're you're learned on on the a lot of this jurisprudence, is there any connection? Do you predict the thing that I'm waiting and looking for, and that is the antitrust that brings the entire house of cards down? 
John, let me, I have to offer my standard disclaimer, <laughs> because in the state of Washington, it's illegal to, pre- to pretend you're a lawyer, and I don't even <laughs> want to pretend over the air mm-hmm. in the state of Oregon that I'm a lawyer. It's my standard disclaimer. I'm a historian, not an attorney. But okay. yes, I'm reading a lot, I'm following a lot of this, and yes, I do think there's a, there's a prospect deep down there. I don't think Oregon State and Washington State want to go there in the short term. I think there's, there's an intermediate right. phase yes. of redevelopment that they are more particularly conscious of pursuing. Yeah. But if things get even, so bear me out on this, if things get even worse than they now seem to be, as is kind of the constant theme of the last two or three weeks on the show, that's not a criticism, right. it's just an observation. Right. In fact, if things get even deeper and darker than they currently are, then I think when, the, when you've got nothing, as the old saying goes, when you've got nothing, you've got nothing left to lose. I think at that point, Oregon State and Washington State look at some antitrust action. Right. Maybe joining right. the suit that the state of Florida is commissioned. Yeah, absolutely. In the middle ground, and what we hope is the whole idea that Alan and others will close on this, Dave, and kind of reflect yeah, towards moving towards a settlement. For example, you brought this up, Dave, and I, I bring it up again because it's quoted in the joint statement released by the treacherous 10, the wretched, the 10 outbound members, they say in that recent statement that right now, Oregon State and Washington State are, quote, they've refused, their refusal to agree to make this early December distribution payment, which is sort of the time that it would, quote, unquote, normally go out. They write, they're 10, the departing 10, OSU and Wazoo's refusal to agree to it shows that the two schools are abusing their position to injure our programs and athletes in violation of all prior precedents. The unanimous support that all our schools gave for the Mountain West Agreement demonstrates that OSU and Wazoo can successfully plan for their future while all members continue to have a say in Pac-12 decisions impacting the current athletics year. The current, uh, then the final paragraph is what you've been saying. They are now, they, they, the final paragraph, the hundreds of millions of dollars that the conference will receive from existing contracts during the two years after the other schools depart will support their plans with the Mountain West and any future plans of the conference, quote-unquote. So you have said, Dave, that's good, actually, because maybe that moves toward a settlement. If there's all an agreement that, yes, all of those dollars come to the two, Okay, we'll cut you your five million here now that you're due for this distribution and the other funds for this year's normal year. Is that not something being negotiated, perhaps in a settlement phase now? Well, well, let me say this, yes. uh, Mike. Um, uh, when I saw that report, I was a little dismayed. What I would have done if I were if I were uh, Rebecca Ghost yes. over there, at the, the Curb Building, or whoever Kirk Schultz is getting advice from. I would not have would I would have made a ninety percent distribution hmm. divided by ninety percent of what otherwise was due to be distributed divided by twelve. I would have held ten percent okay. back. Ten percent is the standard rule of thumb contingency factor because my thought was that the two kind of they might have overplayed their hand okay. a little bit as precisely delineated by the statement from the treacherous ten. I would have done a 90% distribution, hold back 10% as a contingency mm-hmm. for uh, future circumstances to determine. So I thought uh, I thought they were playing a little bit in because uh, 
you know, what I fear now is that the 10 will go back to Judge Leiby and say, see, we told you. Yeah. They can't yeah. be trusted. Right. Uh, and so I, I, I thought it was unfortunate they held all the money back. They should have done a 90, 10% of the, num- of the money that was going to be distributed is still a big number. And if it was 25, people can, people can disagree about what hold back. But they should have distributed the money, held some back for contingency future circumstances to determine. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was, I thought that was, the, the Oregon State Washington had played their hand brilliantly for the most part. I thought that was a misstep. Maybe overplaying it a bit and the whole fiduciary responsibility to all members maybe didn't come into the spirit of things as much as it perhaps could have then to continue to show, hey, look, we're just, yeah, we are looking out for everybody right now. But we have this 10% over here set aside for our plans because we have to be able to rebuild. And so we're saving this for us, too. I agree with you, Dave, in spirit yeah. on that. But there's there's a lot of other things, I'm sure, in play that we that I know I don't understand. But So maybe there's a reason they took a harder line, and it'll all come out in the wash, we hope. Dave, good to talk to you. we got to go. Thanks for the call. Let's take a final break today. We'll have more open phone opportunities tomorrow. We do have Kyle Bjornstad on the nil matter tomorrow to answer questions. So please submit them today and in the morning about anything you want us to address with Kyle with respect to name, image, likeness, how it works, how it is working, how it's supposed to work, what the rules are, how they're not being followed, how we are following them. <laughs> All of those things, if you have questions about that space, feel free to submit them. We break for the final time today on The Joe Beaver Show. Uh, yeah, we got about nine, nine and a half minutes here on the program, but uh, I'm looking forward to Kyle ta- tomorrow. Hey, anybody on this is, it, it's not irrelevant to our world. It's not driving us Nil, Pat Casey's Hall of Fame, Lily Hansford, we do, et cetera. We have you, had some comment in agreement on the uh, techno din. Well, okay, what do you got on the text line? That's what I'm asking. So you do have something. I, I'm okay with Jim Wilson's daughter saying, and we highlighted it during the game, Dad, she said during a timeout, took the headset off, on the Beaver Sports Network from Learfield, dropped the headset well, Jim, what do you think? How come they didn't do that? How come we didn't? You know, whatever we're yeah, talking yeah. about in the previous sequence of plays, whatever. But here is uh, Esty, I believe it was, twins, Evie and Esty, and sometimes, but I think Esty said, Dad, oh, gosh, I love this stadium. I feel like I'm in a nightclub out there. Okay. <laughs> I love this stadium. I love it. Great experience. I feel, okay. Now, Steve Kerr, he, Kerr, the other day, the line that Romy keeps quoting, it's like a South Beach club out there. I mean, wait, I can't hear myself think. It's loud. How did it come thumping, up? Loud and thumping. Well, because in a Warrior Suns game, he, he, whether he was looking up into the stands or at the DJ, the Suns DJ is the guy getting all the either love or blame, depending on yeah. how you look at it. Yeah. But games these days are those types of sensory experiences. And Kerr was saying, I couldn't communicate with my players what are we doing here? Yeah, but it's been you and I have been harping on this for years. Well, we talked about it. 
Not so much harping because no, but we've talked about it. It's like have. it's not a new phenomenon. No, why but, is but he maybe just it was just maybe it? it's just incrementally. Yeah, like the, oh, the, it's worse. the frog in the water. You know, the water is just slowly yeah. warming. Yeah, maybe it's gotten louder and worse. I don't know. But what are what are Beaver Nation Joe Beaver Show texters Here, say? Here's a listener. A couple of weeks ago, we went to see the Clippers play the Nuggets at Crypto Arena. It's the second game I've seen in the last six months. Loud and obnoxious does not begin to describe the atmosphere. It was like a circus on steroids. Music was loud, always rap, and the DJs were screaming into the microphones. I'm a 69-year-old, well, I'm 69 years old and clearly not in tune with this new uh, format. There was a younger crowd in spite of the... uh, Instead, I can't see. It's not you're not writing incorrectly. I just can't see very well. Uh, despite the bloated ticket prices, who seem to be enjoying themselves. So this listener said it was horrible for him. For him, and the kids were liking it. Okay. Now, are they shrewd and wise event presenters? Then trying to cultivate and build. Man, it was fun. Let's go back. That's. They, they're not necessarily targeting Al Michaels or that man or you or me. <laughs> they're trying to get a fan base to want to come, you know, have a party at the ballpark and keep coming. And it's not just about the game on the court of the field. That guy, it didn't work for him. Is it working for most of you and the, the young people in your lives that we do need to cultivate? Or, yeah, yeah but you got to find a way. It's tricky. But the 69-year-olds, the 70-year-olds, the whatever-olds, are buying the tickets. They have the wherewithal to do it. They're your donor base at college stadiums. You, you do have to find a way, that, and we've talked about it with Sarah Alcano, to try to kind of make it an experience, a friendly experience for every demographic. What does this mean? The Luddites lost. Yeah, that's, uh, that's me. That's uh, people who, yeah, you know, that whole TV thing, I don't think it's going to work out. Radio's here to stay. <laughs> That we are Luddites. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know what? I wear that as a badge of honor. Well, you may, you may. Although C.S. Lewis was asked to join some sort of uh, the the Luddite society in his time, and he wrote back and said, "Yeah, now I got to try to sell books to a current generation. I can't join you." Anyway, even though he loved history in the past, what do you got? Uh, Luddites lost. He's right. So techno din prevails and reigns. That's correct. Nothing wrong with it, right? A little wrong with it, but it's not a terrible thing. Of, uh, let's see, uh, that's okay. it, that's it, I can't find them, they're in there, it's just that when someone texts more than once, it, it's buried, and so okay. I, I can't find it. Okay. But there was two or three that said, way too much, too loud, too obnoxious, and they were different ages. Okay, how do we feel about the chainsawed racer? Well, now that's different, because that's kind of different? a rallying cry, it's like yeah. uh, at Washington State or Penn State, they have the, the, the lion roar. Yeah. The cougar, the cougar, the cougar, it yeah, was, the, the, or, cougar yeah. the cougar roar. So why not? And you only use it when it's like on third down. Uh, yeah, on third down. Yeah, yeah, who cares? And you turn it, you turn it back down. I don't. I don't think Softy was complaining about it because it's loud and obnoxious. I think he's complaining about it because he's he's not a beaver and he he's a husky like hunk. Yeah, right. Yeah, that stupid chainsaw. Yes, and but it is a thing. It's a thing that gets the attention of people. I think was it Lincoln Riley. Who, who, hey, wow, that place was loud <laughs> after they got, you know, the God, game still hurts. But Lincoln Riley was impressed by the sound and the atmosphere, maybe bemused by it. But I think the chainsaw is used 
judiciously enough that it's just not on all the time. It's just they're down. I think it's perfect. Some people hate it. Even some Beaver fans yeah. I know hate it. Yeah, that may be. Why? It has, it's a direct connection to beavers chopping down right. trees. I mean, the whole you know mythical, everything about it works, and you're only using it for a rallying cry. <laughs> it's not a constant. Whereas the music and the this and the that, and then the people that we talk to say, oh, oh we can't have dead air. Right. That's a radio thing. That's well, not a but stadium it's a, it's a stadium experience thing in the world we live in. The Luddites lost. Yes. I wish they would do a survey with all fans. Yeah, they do, I think. I mean, I, Sarah Elcano will tell you, we have surveys out that's available to every fan. But I wish they would do it with a question that hits, hits it hard, which is, do you like the noise and the loudness and everything, mm -hmm. or do you want it to be toned down? Not just, how do you like the music at, at research? Right. Not that. Yeah. Well, but an absolute uh, cut and dry, is it too obnoxiously loud and constant for you? Or should we, you know, maybe give some choices, A, B, and C, play music right. only when this happens? I mean, right. there was another one that I, I couldn't find, but I can remember it. And they were complaining about how, you know, in some places they'll play this the music during play. Well, now, right. I went to a couple Blazer games well, last well, year, and I, it wasn't a problem. Okay. Let's get, we'll sneak one more caller in perhaps in closing the show today. We've got a couple of minutes remaining. We'll have a lot of open phone opportunities tomorrow. But it is a, it's a question that we've kicked around in sessions with Sarah off and on. And you're right about specific, maybe phrasing the survey type thing a little more directly. What do you make of yeah. it? Because sometimes you, you don't even know kind of what you're feeling or hearing. Until just after, but just the question: Would you like to be able to talk to you? Whatever, a way of—is it too loud? Is it too loud for too long? Whatever, yeah. Jeff in Corvallis. Okay, let's go to Jeff in Corvallis to kind of wrap things up for today. Jeff, good afternoon. Hi, guys. Uh, just a quick comment. I'm 73. My wife made me go out and buy her a plastic chainsaw to take the gauge to the third house. <laughs> Beautiful. So. Yeah, she's into it. I'm I'm into it because she's got me into it. I thought, well, do we really need to? But it is a fun mm -hmm. sort of a thing. Um, Good on the music and all that. And I missed the early earlier part of the show. My only thing about the music, I think the lights are kind of cool. Yeah. The only thing that's bad about the music is the badness of the speaker system, and they should yeah. tone it down yeah. until they get decent equipment. And okay. It's embarrassing. Okay, Jeff, thank you for that. The light show is a big hit. I, I found it. I found one yeah. of the older ones. Uh, I'm 45 years old. I could not agree more with you about the loud music and nightclub atmosphere at stadiums and arenas these days. Worst is the NBA. They play music during the actual play of the game. Drives me crazy. Okay. But also has a vo vote in saying absolutely the chainsaw is synonymous with beaver football. Yeah, right. So the time and place. But I'm not saying I'm agreeing with Steve Kerr, but he is asking the question, what are we doing here? Do you like what they're doing there? We'll see you tomorrow.